The Coram Deo Church Community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you're about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. Today's scripture reading is in James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning, church. When I first became a Christian, I wanted to know all of the rules. I was a sophomore in high school, and I wanted to get it right. And after a couple of years... I began to realize that the Christian faith was far less about rules and much more about a life of wisdom. Because God invites us into a way, not a list. And James chapter 3 is where we'll be today. And James asked this question on page 951, if you're using the Bible underneath your chair. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? In James 3 verse 13. It's an interesting question for James to be asking them then, and it's still a great question for us now. Who's wise and understanding among us? So let's answer that question and dive into what the Lord has for us today. We're all here today because we want to grow in wisdom. If you think about it, which you probably didn't think about it until right now, actually, You showed up here today for a reason, and somewhere in your reason is a reason for wisdom. There's a need for clarity, a need for answers, and therefore a need for God. And whatever your need, you will find it on the tracks of wisdom. Because deep down, we're all longing for a mature wisdom. That's why we're here today. And wisdom means a lot to James. He has a lot to say about it. He has been talking about it. He will continue to talk about it as we work our way through chapters four and five. He is adamant about steering a straight course through life's varied experiences and circumstances. So today, we're going to reflect on James 3 verses 13 through 18 by asking three really basic questions. First of all, what is wisdom? What erodes wisdom? And where do we get wisdom? What is it? What erodes it? Where do we get it? So what is it? Well, simply put, wisdom begins with knowing God. And not just knowledge of God, but the kind of knowledge that can get into your bones and reshape your life. The Bible never places value on knowledge that just remains cerebral to us or creedal. Rather, the Bible is always inviting us into a way of life that is wise with God at the center of it. 
And beyond that, wisdom is the God-given ability to see him in all of our ways. This is why parents, when they're raising children, drop Proverbs 3 on kids pretty early. It's some of the first memory verses if you grow up in a Christian household. It says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So wisdom is the God-given ability to see him in all of our ways. In all of our ways. Acknowledging the presence of God. That's what wisdom is. In whatever circumstance I find myself in, where is God in this situation and what does he have to say about it? If you think about the people that you listen to, the people that you follow, the people that you, you just kind of pay attention to, they're probably wise people. None of us set out to follow a fool, at least on purpose, right? We follow people and we drift towards people who are wiser than us. And so when we need financial counsel, we find someone who's better than us in finance. When we need career counsel, we find somebody who's wiser than us in making those kinds of moves. If you've ever built a house, you find an architect, a general contractor who's smarter than you are at building houses, and then you have them do it. When you're dating, we ask a trusted friend and wise people around us to shoot us straight. And if you're married, you put wise people around your marriage so that when you, you can flourish in the good times and celebrate, and then you can also have trusted friends and advisors around you if you struggle. Now, here's the thing. We didn't make up any of that on our own. We didn't come up with those ideas. That's God's idea. Wisdom is God's idea. And there's an entire section of the scriptures called the wisdom literature. And James is leaning back on the scriptures, the Old Testament, and his goal is to jog the memory of his listeners, and his goal is to jog our memory today on wisdom. It's plain from this entire letter that his mind is saturated with scriptural information, and he wants us to heed his wisdom, specifically so that it can make us wise, so that it can change us, so that it can begin to shape us. So James, leaning back on the scriptures himself, describes wisdom for us in his own words. What is wisdom? This is what James says, James chapter 3, verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Now, it's not an exhaustive list, but James tells us what wisdom is. First of all, it's pure. The, way, the first way that James describes wisdom is how he would describe Jesus. Pure, undefiled holy. It illuminates everything, but it isn't influenced by anything. Heavenly wisdom enters the sinful world, much like Jesus did, but it is not swayed or affected by it, so it's pure. Then it's peaceable. That pure wisdom from above naturally reaches out to others in peaceable ways, peace-loving, peacemaking. The peace of God dominates the wise person, and those who possess wisdom have a self-controlled temperament that expresses this kind of peace as it brings peace. It's also gentle. If there's a purity about it and peacefulness about it, and if those are to be maintained, then it also has to be gentle. The wise person holds their tongue and gathers the facts. There's a deliberate approach to a wise person, and the gentleness is always expressed in that deliberation. Charles Spurgeon pointed out, 
uh, long ago that in the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that we have, which are 89 chapters of biblical text, there's only one place, one place in those four accounts where Jesus tells us about his own heart. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, he tells us that he is gentle and lowly in heart. And appropriately, Dane Ortland wrote a book a couple of years ago titled Gentle and Lowly, and he says this, meek, humble, gentle. Jesus is not trigger happy, not harsh, reactionary, easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. Wisdom is gentle, folks. It's also open to reason, or some of your Bibles say willing to yield. The wise person isn't a know-it-all. We all know those people, right? Not your favorite person. Instead of standing up for one's rights, they yield wherever yielding is possible. They aren't necessarily easily persuaded, but they aren't bullheaded and super hard to work with. We know those people, right? Wisdom is open to reason because wise people gain the consent of others as they remain open-minded along the way. They're not gullible, they're wise. So if it's not a theological or a moral principle issue, they're open-minded. Wisdom is open to reason. It's also full of mercy, full of mercy. This reminds us of chapter two. Love for my neighbor always, always shows itself out in action. So we're not surprised then that James defines wisdom with someone's faith that is going somewhere and somebody is doing something with their wise life. It's mercy full. Wisdom produces good fruits. This mercy is coupled with good fruits. Genuine wisdom, like genuine faith, produces something. It's helpful. The wise person lives with others in full awareness of others' neediness, weaknesses, limits, and helplessness. And this wise person is ready to step in and help. Wisdom is impartial. We've already seen James talk about the distinction of partiality and its incompatibility with Christianity. And he defines wisdom as an undivided loyalty to God. The wise person does not have two minds about himself. His loyalty is with God. It's also sincere. Wisdom is sincere. Some of your translations might say without hypocrisy. The wise person's not trying to be two different people with this outward appearance, maybe on a Sunday morning, and a different inward life on a Monday morning. The wise person is sincere. They're not double-faced. And all of this comes from the heart. That's what sincerity is. So what is wisdom? It's an unwavering life full of these characteristics and probably more, and it always manifests itself relationally. I don't know if you noticed this at all, but most of these terms are relational terms. Most of them work themselves out in the context of community where wisdom gets experienced relationally. A wise person has knowledge, but I don't need to tell you that countless instances in your own life have always proved that knowledgeable people are not necessarily wise people right? A wise person has knowledge, but countless instances have proved to you already that they're not always the wisest people in the room. But when a knowledgeable person has those characteristics, they are indeed wise. When someone's knowledge actually helps, 
then you're dealing with a wise person. It doesn't just know stuff to know stuff. It listens, it brings clarity, it's helpful. That's what wisdom is. And James says it comes down from above. It's heavenly in nature. And verse 18 says, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Wisdom is always productive. It's producing something. It's going somewhere and produces a hearty and heavenly crop. It's harvest season right now where we live, right here in the middle of America. Uh, Over the last couple of weeks, I've had the privilege of driving through rural Iowa, rural Nebraska yesterday, and uh, there's harvesters everywhere. Even at night, they're running at night. And it's just like, honestly, the older I get, it's just this beautiful thing about the part of the country that we live in. And uh, my boys have traveled with me a little bit uh, on some of those trips, and they're just enamored by big machines and stuff like that. It's just a lot of fun. And I've had the privilege of experiencing some of that over the last couple of weeks. I've also had the experience of uh, actually doing harvest on the family farm in Montana. So there's nothing like a harvest season. And wisdom creates a harvest of righteousness, James says. This is how Alec Matier says it, Matier. The life of wisdom is not a new thing or something different. It's just another way of talking about being right with God and of the life which, by good works, shows what a lovely thing being right with God is. The harvest of righteousness is referring back to all the good things mentioned in verse 17, characterizing the heavenly wisdom. They are all the proper and natural outgrowth of being right with God. Righteousness describes the life in which all of these characteristics come to harvest. So according to James, That is what wisdom is, and you and I do well to seek it and to find it and to get it. So what erodes it? If that's what it is, what erodes wisdom? Well, James tells us. This is a very black and white text that James gives us today. Verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. He's basically saying, hey, if that's you, just be honest. Verse 15, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. What erodes wisdom is the evidence that jealousy and selfish ambition get the best of us sometimes. That's what erodes it. The beauty of wisdom, the truth, the righteous way in our hearts are strangers to one another at times. And we're, we're always ready to fight for our rights. That's when wisdom begins to erode. Or when we have sharpness in our spirit towards somebody else, that erodes it. When we have over-concern for our position or our dignity or we feel entitled, that begins this erosion of wisdom. Or when we're self-promoting or divisive, James says that is the stuff that erodes wisdom. In verse 15, he he just really lays it out pretty plain. That is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual. And then he's kind of saying like, hey, if you're not paying attention, it's demonic. Wow. Okay. James is not mincing words 
here. He's very plain to us about what wisdom is and what erodes it. He says, that type of jealousy, that type of selfish ambition doesn't come down from above. That's not the good life. That's not the life that you actually want. It's earthly, and we don't belong to this world. It's unspiritual and devoid of God, and God's people are deeply spiritual people. And then he goes on to say, it's demonic. Have you ever glanced across the room in your jealous moment and thought, well, this is a very demonic moment right now that I'm having. I want their life more than I want my life. This feels demonic. No, you don't think that. Because we're not always thinking spiritually when, we're, when, when jealousy is welling up within us. But that's what James is getting at. He's saying jealousy and selfish ambition, it's not just wanting something you don't have or wanting someone else's life or putting yourself first in line, which would be selfish ambition. It's spiritual battle. And pastorally, I just want to say, over the last couple of years, there's a lot of good happening in this church. I've been a part of this church for over 12 years, and the last few years have been quite a ride. There's so much fruit, there's so much good thing, good things happening, and I just know that if the enemy could slide in envy or a spirit of jealousy or selfish ambition, man, he would love that. So the Lord, through this text today, wants to just ask us, is this the case for you? Is envy, is jealousness a type of comparison maybe? Is comparison killing you? If so, then I just want to invite you with James to reject the kingdom of darkness and move toward a righteous life in Christ towards wisdom. How do you know if that's you? Well, it shows up in being catty, being petty, finding yourself anxious about defending your rights, well, then James wants to say, hey, that's not from above. That's not heavenly. That's not the way of wisdom. And you can experience freedom from that in Christ. I don't know if you caught this, but just like the wisdom from above produces a harvest of righteousness, this erosion is never neutral either. It's going somewhere. The scriptures say that a lack of wisdom leads to disorder and every vile practice. The last thing we need are more vile practices around us, right? But I will tell you, what you do need is order. I have the privilege of working with people really all day, every day. And one of our basic human functions is that we need order. And we see God giving us order right away on the first few pages of the scriptures. He makes things happen, and he puts order to those things. And so we need order. We don't need disorder. Disorder is the result of a lack of wisdom. Once I figured out, which took me a long time, that I'm just going to need to pursue wisdom a lot more in my life, uh, I started just reading a proverb a day. So I don't do this every day, but I shoot for I don't know, five to probably five out of the seven days of the week. I'm just trying to take in a proverb. It's a part of my morning routine and I'm reading that proverb. And sometimes it's amazing and really rich. Other times I'm just like, okay, it's the proverb of the day. It's the 23rd day on the, of the month. I'm reading proverb 23. And so I'll do that. And uh, we can all benefit from proverbs, but scholars also contest that proverbs was written for young men. 
The language in Proverbs is often boy to dad or parents talking to a boy, or basically it's saying, hey, boy, don't be a fool, or boy this or boy that. Now, we've seen in James the wisdom has certain characteristics in chapter 3. And the book of Proverbs focuses on character development, and virtues can become habits as we take in the wisdom of Proverbs. So I'm trying to do that, and then I'm also trying to, as a dad who has three boys, trying to drop wisdom Proverbs onto my children as they grow up. Because I want them to grow up and not be fools, I'd rather them be wise. So I'm doing the best thing I can, hopefully. And since I'm a dad of those entrusted with that, it seems like that's my responsibility to try to impart as much wisdom as I can. So for example, Proverbs 7, verses 4 and 5 say this, say to wisdom, you are my sister and call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. My boys need to know that wisdom's like a sister. They have three sisters, so they can relate to that. So think of wisdom like a sister. A sister is a good female friend. Eventually, you're going to need her for a lot of dating advice later on. So she needs to be a female friend, someone you can ask for legit counsel along the way. And then this proverb also says, hey, some women you just got to avoid. Wisdom says so right here. Proverbs 14, 7, leave the presence of a fool for there you do not meet words of knowledge. Boys need to know that they can't just be friends with just anybody. And sometimes you just have to walk away and get out of the presence of a fool. Wisdom says so. Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. I talk less about the wine with my boys. I talk a little bit more about honoring the Lord with your wealth. So less about the wine, but boys need to grow up feeling, they will eventually feel financial responsibility in their life. They'll feel it first for themselves, and then if Lord willing, for others, maybe a family, other people. So more people means more money, and they need to know that because of that proverb and more, they're going to have to budget in such a way that they can worship God along the way with their money, which will be hard-earned, but will also be very worshipful as they give it back to the Lord's work. Proverbs 3 says so. Proverbs 23, verses 20 and 21. This is a really black and white one. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. This is basically saying, boys, you cannot grow up to be lazy frat guys. That's what it's saying. If you need a proverb to not be a lazy drunk frat guy, that's the one right there. Proverbs 18.6. A fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. Definitely one of my favorites. I'm kidding, kind of. Boys need to know that their mouths invite them to get roughed up a little bit. Sometimes by dad. The Bible says so. All right, maybe I'm getting a little slippery here on my Proverbs. But Proverbs 16.31, I got one more for you. Gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. This, Proverbs is, this proverb is telling boys that older people will always be cooler than they are. <laughs> and if my boys comment 
on this little bit of gray hair in my beard, which has happened lately. I don't have a lot of gray hair up here yet, but this, I got this little patch in my beard and one of my sons mentioned it a couple of months ago and I just reminded him of another proverb that his mouth invites a beating. <laughs> but I also reminded him that, hey, you need to know that according to Proverbs 16, this is glorious and righteous. The Bible says so. Here's my point. I'm joking a little bit, but here's my point. A proverb a day will keep the fool away. So at least once or twice a week, I just try to drop a proverb on my boys. Now I can text some of them, not all of them. And I just want wisdom to become muscle memory for them. And if I, as a dad, can give my boys something, well, imparting wisdom is up to me. That one, I need that to be my job. So James tells us what it is. He tells us what erodes it. Where do we get it? Well, you might remember, and Mike mentioned this in his prayer earlier, that we need to ask for it. James, at the very beginning of his letter, has wisdom on his mind, and he says to us, if you lack wisdom, ask God. He's five verses deep into chapter one. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. God is not stingy. He wants to dump out his wisdom. He's generous. He's kind. He's willing to give it as a gift to you. And he has enough of it to go around, and he wants to hand it out. And as we ask him for it, he gives it to us, and we receive it. We receive wisdom as a gift from God. That's where we get it. We ask. The scriptures simply say in James 3 that it comes down from above. And Jesus comes to us from above as well, doesn't he? Think through these characteristics of wisdom. In all of his purity, he embodies wisdom on earth with us. Wisdom is first pure. Jesus was holy and pure. It's peaceable, gentle, open to reason. Jesus is the man of peace. He brought peace. He was gentle and he didn't interrupt. Wisdom is full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Jesus was the embodiment of mercy and everything he did was sincere and full of integrity. And the people around him didn't really know what to do with him because he was so wise and full of integrity and so steady. So we look up to God and we ask for this wisdom from above. And we look to Christ above as well as the wisest person that we can be in relationship with. And we follow him into it. Everything we need, we get from God. And we get it from God through Christ. So, verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? Man, as one of your pastors for over a decade, I want us to, to answer that with a great deal of confidence. We are. Let's be these people, friends. I want us in the room to be these people. I want us to be the people in the church broadly and in the city broadly that are looked to as wise and understanding people. What if we were these people? Let's be the people in the city that work on cars, teach in schools, and work in hospitals to take care of people as people who embody the wisdom from above. Let's be the people in the city that work deals, raise kids, and serve our city as people who embody this wisdom from above. If we collectively as a church grow in wisdom, 
then we collectively can help each other in the ways of biblical wisdom with one another, and we can also have impact on our city for the good. Your neighbors are already watching anyway. Let's give them a wise life. Would you pray with me as we pray towards that end? Jesus, we're grateful that you embody all of this stuff that James brings us today. You are gentle, full of peace, full of mercy. You showed us through the gospels and through your way, through your own life, that you embody all of this wisdom. We're grateful that we can be in relationship with you, that you invite us into this life because you have lived it before us and you have modeled it for us. So Jesus, we're grateful for that. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you give us wisdom. You give us what we need when we need it. You tell us in this letter that you will pour it out generously. And so we just ask for more of it. Would you make Coram Deo Church a wise church? And Holy Spirit, we pray that as you continue to take up residence in us, you're in us, and as you move in more people, would you produce wisdom in us? Would we produce mercy and good fruits because of you working in us as your people? We confess with just how black and white this text is to us today. It's challenging. It's easy for us to drift towards the things of this earth. And we know from this chapter, from these verses, that that is not from above. We want the wisdom from above. So would you give it to us? Would we step into it? And we courageously hold it out for those who need it as well. We pray these things in your name. Amen.